Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that both of our readings today would center on NIMBYs? That's right. I'm talking about the not in my backyards. Both Jonah and the early vineyard work crew are benefiting from grace and positions of privilege, and yet they don't want either of those extended to anyone else. For Jonah doesn't think the people of Nineveh are worthy, and the early crew doesn't think that the rest of the day laborers are their equal. Now, for those of you who aren't sure what I'm talking about, this term NIMBY, not in our, our or my backyard, arose out of instances in which communities often agreed that, for example, homeless housing is needed, but not in our neighborhood. It's fine as long as it's in another neighborhood. And so here, an example I'll give to you is when I was living in Orange County in 2014, where all of the townships agreed that a new homeless shelter was very important, but not one single township wanted to host it. And so it began this game of kicking the can down the road until they could find an, a little piece of land out of the way of everybody else's where they would finally put the shelter. In other words, what I'm trying to say here is that to be a NIMBY means you have to have privilege. For it is people with privilege who are comfortable standing on their pedestal and looking down at other people in other communities. And it is people with privilege who say that they are better than other people, and that they can choose what goes in their communities and also that they can control what happens in other people's communities. So now that we've established what a NIMBY is in present day, let's apply that to good old Jonah. And yes, I think he really was one because if we extract our definition from today and we move it into the realm of Old Testament prophet, we find someone who doesn't agree with who God is choosing to save. For Jonah is a prophet, which means that God has called him specifically to spread the word of salvation and repentance. Now, when Jonah's asked to do this, he's not exactly excited about it. And some of you know the stories of him being swallowed by the whale and spit up by the whale. Jonah's running away from God because he doesn't agree with God's choice to have him go and proclaim salvation to the people of Nineveh. And because Jonah doesn't agree with who God thinks is worthy, he runs away and has tantrums and complaints. So here we have someone who's been given privilege by God, the power of the prophetic voice to be a leader for God and proclaim salvation to other people. And he takes this privilege and he uses it to justify his belief that he knows better than God about who's worthy of salvation. And this arrogance on Jonah's part has made him blind to the fact that he has not exactly been obedient to God. As I mentioned, he's run away and had tantrums and done all sorts of things. Now, the people of Nineveh have not been obedient either. However, upon first call, they repent right away. But Jonah continues to resist what God is asking him to do. 
And in our final scene today of the story of Jonah, he literally turns his back on his God and walks away and goes and sits out in his own little spot and has another tantrum. Jonah is completely blind that God has been giving him mercy all the way along. Every time Jonah has resisted, God has not turned away from Jonah. And even though God has shown mercy to Jonah multiple times, he is angry when God on first repentance turns to save Nineveh. And then we turn from Jonah to the early workers of the vineyard who had an opportunity to be in line first thing in the morning. And they are angry that those hired later are paid the same wage. They want equity. In other words, the number of hours you work equals the amount you are paid. But the principle of equity and pay only works if the access to work is equitable. And there is some sort of unspoken assumption here that the other workers, maybe they were lazy and they couldn't get out of bed in time to be hired earlier, but that once they were hired that they didn't work as hard as the other crew. But there's so much we don't know. Why did workers keep showing up throughout the day? Were they laid off from other jobs that ended too soon? Did they have to walk great distances to get to the hiring location in the town? Were they disabled and walked slower and so took longer to arrive? Did they have a family emergency at home that suddenly meant they needed to find immediate work? Or perhaps they were still there because even though they arrived early, no one would hire them because of the way they looked, the clothes they wore, or the color of their skin. Now, we do not know the answers to these questions, but what we do know is this. The owner of the vineyard saw a need and answered it with work and paid generously. There was no assumption or judgment in terms of why the other workers were not adhering to the traditional expected workday schedule. NIMBYs are fundamentally opposed to others receiving the same privileges that they themselves enjoy. And last week I read a story in the Philadelphia Inquirer that puts it into modern day for us. There's a town in southwestern Pennsylvania called Norvelt. And it's named after Eleanor Roosevelt because this town was built during the New Deal. 1935, following the Great Depression, the town was so grateful they named it after the president's wife. They built homesteads, running, put in running water, electricity, a co-op farm, a garment factory, and a dairy farm, all created by the government. And 254 families were settled there by the government. All of these families had lost their homes and jobs. And over time, the government allowed these resettled families to buy these homes and land that they were renting. Fast forward to us now, 86 years later, and many generations have stayed in this town. And most recently, they shared in a few interviews with the paper that they are afraid and protective of their property. They said they aren't against all social welfare programs, they just don't want them expanded. They claim that their parents were hardworking and earned the right to have government assistance. But they now worry that the federal government will give handouts to lazy people, and they don't think that's right. Norvelt has a town case of NIMBY. That's right, a 
privileged town with access to resources given when needed and now resistant to the same help being given to others, for federal aid was expanded for their parents, and yet they don't want it expanded now. Norbelt has a plank in its eye, the plank of privilege. And NIMBYs, that's what we carry. When we act in a way that we don't want others to have our privilege, it's because we are blinded by what is in our own eyes. Now, whether you identify today with moments of being a Jonah or moments in which you, like the early vineyard crew, felt that you were not treated as being better because you worked harder or, or showed up sooner than somebody else, even though you were paid the same, or whether perhaps you have been the recipient, like the citizens of Norbelt, of government assistance, community assistance, help from a neighbor or a friend who had resources and saw you in need and gave it generously. And yet lately you have been invited to do the same and for whatever reason you have felt that the people in need are not as deserving as perhaps you were. It is important for us to look at these stories and realize that Jesus is teaching us to walk a Christian journey and making sure, as he says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. But to get there, it means confronting our own privilege that blinds us from seeing that all of God's people are equally deserving of love, justice, mercy, forgiveness, and human dignity. And so to get to that place of removing that plank of privilege means going beyond our book groups and our conversations, our seminars and our workshops. It means to daily admit our own privilege, to name the plank in our own eye that blinds us and to daily turn to God and ask that God clean our heart from the sin that we have committed so we can start again. For all the learning and reading and talking in the world will not matter if we are not willing to approach God with a contrite heart and be willing to be transformed. And so I give to you a portion of Psalm 51, which I carry with me in those moments in which I need to repent and turn to God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Amen.